right. Good to see everybody. It's kind of like, um, like Shamu, you know, the, the, the splash zone. You know, we don't have a splash zone at Oaks Church, so it's, uh, you're safe. Uh, you're safe to be a little closer. That's all good. Uh, I'm glad you're here today. I'm excited about the message today. Um, I got to tell you, I was a little nervous today. Um, I had one of those nights <clears throat> um, throughout the course. You know, I've been in full-time ministry for almost, 20, almost 25 years now. And um, there are certain moments, certain uh, topics, certain messages where I, I come against a lot of opposition. And last night was one of those. And when that happens, uh, for example, I, I was dealing, and I'm, I'm one of those people that I, when I go to sleep, I go to sleep. And I don't wake up until it's time to wake up. And so anytime I wake up in the middle of the night, there's something typically going on. And last night I was dealing with this really strange, um, unexplainable anxiety. And that's not a normal thing for me. That's not like a, you know, that's not my normal personality. And it was, it was intense. And I just had to think, okay, the Lord apparently wants me to pray. He wants me to, to, to get up and spend some time. I don't know what was going on. I don't know who I maybe was praying for, but I just, I really felt like there was something going on. And I feel like uh, this specific topic, we're talking about faith for miracles. I feel like what we're discussing over these next few weeks and really all the way into the new year, um, as we move toward our Christmas series, it's going to tie into the miracle of Jesus Christ. I feel like this is a, 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 a shifting um, series, something that is shifting the culture of our church. And I know the enemy wants to come against you. I know he wants to stir things up. I know he wants to bring um, controversies into your own family life, your business life, to keep you from receiving the things. That, that's something Jesus talked about. He talked about how there are different types of soils that the seed of God's word gets cast into. And the four different soils or different types of people. And each different soil was a different type of a personality or different things of that nature. And certain people um, were prone to the enemy coming and stealing the seed. They had a rocky soil that couldn't be penetrated. Certain types of people were too busy in life and there was too much going on. There was a lot of stuff growing up in their life. And then there was another type of person that just had a cultivated soft soil that God's word could penetrate and produce the harvest. And that's, that's who we need to focus on being in our lives is is what can I do to keep my heart soft for God's word and not allow the busyness of life or, or the distractions of the enemy or just, the, the, just kind of the waywardness of, of how things go in our lives to keep me from receiving what God wants. I'm just, I, I can't get away from this intense feeling that God has something in store for us as a church and he's doing something very specific. We have a gentleman in our church that there's no other way to just, I'll just say, uh, he has what's called the gift of discerning of spirits. Um, in the list of the gifts of the spirit in the Bible, the Bible talks about nine different gifts of the spirit, people that God gives a special gift to for praying for people for healing, for miracles, for uh, prophetic tongues and interpretation, for actual prophecy, all faith, supernatural faith, lots of different types of supernatural gifts that Jesus gave to humanity. And one of those gifts is called the discerning of spirits. And what that means is that they have a sensitivity to and even an ability to see in to the spiritual realm. There are people that have the ability to see in, into the angelic realm and the demonic realm. It's, I'm, I kind of don't think I want that one. Uh, it sounds a little creepy, right? Um, but this gentleman, he sees it. He sees angels in our church on a regular basis. Um, there, it's, it, what's wild is there have been confirmation after confirmation of things that this person has seen and things that the Lord has shown me. And last Sunday in service, he had a vision in the middle of service where, as we're talking about and launching this miracle series. And in the vision, he saw this property uh, decades and decades ago when it was still farmland. And on the property, he saw, it was field grass, but he saw a tent that had been erected. And it was similar to the tents where there were like the old school tent revival meetings. And he was seeing this property as if he was up on Custer Road looking back at where where you know this was a field with this tent and in the tent there were people that were praying and they were believing and they were asking God for revival for this specific area. Now I, I don't know how we could go back and find out 
the history of revivals and things of that in the area or what different properties were owned by who, you know, back. But, but back in the early 1900s, there was a revival called the Azusa Street Revival. And it was a season where God began to, to do revival all across the nation. And he began to pour out, even, even in England and here in America, and just his Holy Spirit was being poured out and people were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were receiving the gift of tongues and prophecy and, and, and faith for healing and miracles and all kinds of just this massive, incredible revival that began to stretch, stretch forward into the 1920s and 30s. And then in the 40s and 50s, you had different ministers that were uh, doing these tent revivals across the nation. Oral Roberts was one of them. My dad in the 50s actually drove the trucks and set up these tents uh, for these revivals with Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts was my dad's first pastor when he was a child. And my dad had polio as a child. There's a lot of children that were born in the late 30s and early uh, 40s. That was an epidemic that was going around. Well, Oral Roberts one day at, at dinner at my parents, my grandparents' house laid hands on my dad and my dad was healed of polio. Now, you've probably seen people that had polio as a child and they have a shriveled um, appendage or, or some type of deformity. My dad was completely and totally healed and has no signs of polio ever uh, being in his body whatsoever. And then he grew up to be a part of that ministry for a season. And, and I don't know if it's that type of thing, something that happened here, but, but that was what this gentleman saw. And, and it... it, 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 it gels with what I felt in my spirit. Because the man that owned this building before us bought this building during the economic downturn in the late uh, 2000s, um, 2008, 9, 10-ish area. And he instantly wanted this building to be a church. He had designs drawn. He said this is supposed to be a church. He had all kinds of, he had schematics. He had it, the whole floor plan developed out. And, and he tried for years to, to sell this building to become a church. And no church moved on it. So he rented it out. He was finally stuck and had to do something. So it became a pizzeria and a dodgeball place and a laser ball place and then uh, a, a coffee shop. And then finally, uh, the Ninja Warrior uh, building came in. And, and they all the when we bought the building, it was all the way to the ceiling. There were ramps and, and climbing things and all the stuff that those people would do. And, but he felt like this is supposed to be a church. I just, he couldn't shake it. And so then when we came in, he didn't want to sell it anymore. But God moved on his heart and did a miracle inside of a baby church that was barely two and a half years old, and we were able to negotiate for and position ourselves into a place where we could do a lease to own, and by the end of that year, purchase this building, an absolute miracle in the middle of a pandemic, God made a miracle for a baby church to, hit, to take this property. And, and that's where we are right now. Now, this gentleman in our church that sees visions, he sent the first one to me, and then he had a second one later in the week. He was driving back from another part of town, and as he was driving back, he was seeing in the spirit realm these massive angels that were the, the, the um, angels that were given charge over different cities around us, Allen and Prosper and Garland and Plano and Carrollton and all these different areas around the Metroplex. He saw these giant angels, and they were standing holding the, the hilt of their sword with the tip pointed down down and every single one of them he said was pointed toward McKinney they were looking specifically at Oaks Church and he felt in his spirit that God was creating something right here he was beginning something starting something right here that all of the other um, angelic forces around this region are waiting and watching for what God wants to do connected to what's going on right here inside of our organization and I, I'm not trying to say those things in fact I do not say those things to hype anything up in fact it sounds like a heck of a lot of pressure to me but I also do not want to be so caught up in any part of my humanity that I don't allow God to do what he wants to do. There's a reason that we are all here together. There's a reason that God has called us. There's a reason that you're watching right now online. There's a reason that you have been drawn to this ministry for whatever reason. Why would a little church in McKinney, Texas have people watching in over 40 states in America? Why? Doesn't make any sense, but God is up to something. And when, we, we're, when our hearts were moved to do a series on faith for the miraculous and God to do miracles, I feel like we're connecting into something that God has wanted to happen for decades inside of this city. And I'm just asking you to put your faith with mine. 
I'm asking you to get your heart together with mine. I'm asking you to begin to pray crazy prayers. See, in the, in the, in the New Testament, the church began to come together and they began to pray prayers uh, when they were being persecuted, when things in culture weren't going the way they wanted, when, when, when things were going wrong, they, they didn't riot. They, they didn't do all kinds of these, of these riots inside of culture. They prayed specific prayers. And one of the prayers that they prayed in Acts chapter 4 and 5 was that God would accompany their message with signs and miracles. That he would stretch forth his hand to heal and he would demonstrate his power through their ministries. That was the specific prayer that, he, that they prayed. And when they prayed that prayer, the Bible says that he, God shook the entire building. I believe God wants to shake this place. I believe he wants to do something so powerful, so supernatural, that it, that it, that it provokes the spirit realm all around us and, 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 and other churches and other people partner together and faith arises. This isn't something that's for publicity. This isn't something that's for attention. I want nothing to do with that. I just want to see God move. I want to see miracles happen. I want to see people get healed. I want to see families get drawn together. I want to see kids that are astray coming home. I want to see marriages that are separated coming back together. I want to see the miraculous, guys. I want to see arms grow out. I want to see people walk that have never walked. I want to see God move. If it happened in the Bible, it can happen today. If it happened in the Bible, it can happen today. And it's going to take people that have a resolute faith to be vessels that he can flow through like that. I grew up in church. I, I grew up um, in Tulsa in the middle of the charismatic movement. Uh, you know, the, in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, it was this wild, you know, explosion of the charismatic church. Some of the biggest churches all around the nation and, and literally growing all around the world were churches uh, that were believing and teaching the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that included the ability to believe for faith, for miracles, and for supernatural demonstrations of power. And I want you to understand that's a beautiful and a wonderful thing. Other churches focus on uh, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Other churches focus on the power of the gifts of the Spirit. We need to focus on all of it. We need to focus on both. And, and every church, I, I love my pastor friends across the city. We are united with the other churches. We're not against any other denomination. We are for each other. We are united with each other. And we have differences and distinctions that make us uh, unique and beautiful. It's a different type of a person that wants to come and have a former uh, professional fighter to be their pastor. That's not a normal, most people want their pastor to be well behaved. You know, you might have to bail me out one day, okay? That, look, that's a little bit of a different relationship, you know, that, that, that we're going to have in this type of thing. I'm a little rowdy from time to time, but, but man, I love God and I want to see God do something. And I've asked God many times. In fact, I tried for decades to not be a, a, a pastor. That's not what I wanted to do with my life. But God put it in my heart and I can't escape it. And my greatest, my greatest thrill is to be a part of what God is doing. I love it. It's the dream I never knew I always had. But I told him he picked wrong. Because I'm not good at following the rules. And I'm not good at behaving all the time. And, I, and I'm just a little rowdier than a lot of pastors are but he's got grace. Isn't it amazing that he can use us? Just regular folks. He can use regular folks. Don't put me on a pedestal, man. I'll fall off. I'm a regular guy that loves Jesus. Uh, and and, and, and I'm, I'm fully uh, aware of what people go through in life. Everybody has struggle. Everybody has tough times. Everybody has seasons of, of frustration. Everyone has tough times in their marriage. Guys, Jennifer and I have been through it all. We can relate. And God put us together for a reason. Put us together for a reason. I believe it with all my heart. I remember being a kid growing up in church and, and specifically this one time being at a church picnic. You know, remember church picnics back in the day? Man, I mean, there are all kinds of, everybody, the whole potluck thing and man, you're out there 
got softball going on and frisbee going on and you know cornhole or whatever the different things are happening and I remember a bunch of the kids we were playing this uh, game of tag and I was running from one kid and dodging from another and I ran and, and there was this chain link fence man where I grew up man a lot we don't have a lot of chain link fences around here we've got the big six foot or eight foot privacy fences but where I grew up there were chain link fences everywhere and as a kid you could get pretty good at hitting them full stride and just kind of springboarding over them or whatever and, and we would do that kind of thing all the time just jumping fences left and right and I remember running from one kid and, and, and hitting this fence and I literally jumped up and in the middle of it I couldn't decide if I wanted to fake him out and come back over the other side or if I wanted to go ahead and finish and go all the way across and, 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 I, got, and I got stuck on the fence and it was very unpleasant it's bad for my future and, and, and I remember being stuck and he's coming to get me and, I, and I'm trying to get off the fence and I finally pushed and twisted and yanked and, and, and I got almost off the fence except for my shorts. And, it, and, and my shorts turned into a skorts. Or it, was, it, was, it was a skirt after that. It was not a very good day for my self-esteem. Uh, and I got tagged too, so it was like the double whammy. But I was stuck on the fence and I feel like the enemy has a lot of people stuck on the fence in what they believe. We can, we can believe one thing, but we're looking at the situation in life and can't make a decision. We can believe one thing and say one thing about our marriage, but then something happens and turn around and out of the same mouth we're saying things that are not faith-filled. We can, be, we, can, we can believe that God is a provider, but we're looking at our financial situation and we just can't see how we can make it out. You can believe that God's a God of miracles, but you're looking at your marriage and, and, and some days you don't know how you'll possibly make it and, and you can't, can barely even muster the faith to pray because of what you're facing. And can I tell you, I can relate to that. And so can Jesus. So could his disciples. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every manner so that he could relate to you and you could relate to him. The enemy wants you stuck in a place of doubt. Doubt is the opposite of faith. Faith is what we have to have to please God. But the enemy, what he likes to do is he likes to find us or position us in a place where we have these things that we believe, but the things that are in front of us are so overwhelming that we get stuck and we're stuck on the fence and we're in a place of indecision and in that place of indecision we're at risk our futures are at risk there's a story in the old testament about uh daniel some of you remember the prophet daniel who wrote the book of daniel you can find this story there you remember Daniel in the lion's den. You remember Daniel who took a stand against this uh, evil king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, interestingly enough, the way that this worked, uh, anytime, and as you read your Bible, you'll see that anytime the nation of Israel was in a season of rebellion, um, where they had allowed demonic uh, worship to come into their uh, culture, they allowed these different the ways that, that they, uh, demons were worshipped all throughout culture, they would, they would begin to infiltrate those things and it was they would allow different types of sexual immorality or allow different types of greed or different types of behaviors that were against the bible and anytime that would happen god would allow one of their enemies to come and begin to attack them he used the nations around them to force them into a place where they had to pray and had to return to faith and many times they were carried off as a nation into what was called exile and daniel and his friends were a part of that group and what would happen in this day and age and all through the Bible is these different kingdoms would come. It's the same demonic strategy that's used today. It's a culture war. It wasn't just about the, the powerful army that would come in and kill folks. They would take captive the elites of the society. They would take captive the children of royalty, the children of the royal lines and the elite family lines, and they would take them back. In this case, they took them back to Babylon and they put them into a cultural school, so to speak, where they changed their names, they changed what they called them. 
They changed how they addressed them and they were trying to change their identity. They made them learn the language of Babylon. They made them eat the foods of Babylon. They made them uh, appreciate the cultures and the names that they gave them. Everybody in Israel, when they were given a name, their name somehow reflected their faith in God. So all of the names were names that were about the glory of God or about worshiping God, right? So I have two um, Hebrew names. And that my mom was so decided that I was going to be a pastor one day that she gave me two Hebrew names, Joel, which means declarer of God. Thanks, mom. Um, see, she called it out from the very beginning. And Nathaniel, which was another prophet. So Joel and Nathaniel, I'm, I'm named after two prophets. And Nathaniel means the gift of God. And that's what I told my wife. And that's why she married me. I'm just joking. But uh, that one never gets old. Um, but, but I was named for that. Well, in the Babylonian culture, when they took these children in, they changed their names and they gave them names that were connected to the worship of the demonic gods of Babylon. And so Daniel and his friends decided that they wanted to rise up and they said, listen, we don't want to eat these foods and we don't want to practice these things. Allow us to still practice our culture and, and keep ourselves clean before God and put us to the test and see if God doesn't help us to perform at a higher level than everyone else. And so God honored them and they were able to perform at that higher level and they were able to keep their, their purity intact and, and obey their laws even though they're in the midst of this culture that wanted to change how they thought. Guys, it's the same stuff that's going on today. It's a culture war, trying to change how you think, trying to change your label, trying to change how you talk, trying to change how you see the world, trying to change how you, what you say about yourself. It's a culture war. It's the enemy's trick. It's what he does all the time. He does it in every single culture, and that's what we're facing today in America. It's textbook. Just read your Bible. It's the same tactics for thousands of years of human history. The enemy has one playbook. And that's what he's doing with our kids. Interesting that if you use TikTok in America, it's a whole bunch of dumb stuff that makes you dumber. If you use TikTok in China, it's all educational stuff that makes you smarter. You don't think there's an agenda? There's an agenda. Not being political, I'm helping you understand that we are in war with a spiritual force. It's not about another country, it's about a force of darkness. It's about a demonic force. And even though America is a nation that is full of people that don't worship God, we still were built and based on God-worshiping principles, Christian, Judeo-Christian principles, and we are the number one spreader of the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world, the number one funder of all gospel ministry around the world. America is that place, and the enemy hates us. And he wants to destroy us. And he's seeking to destroy us from the inside using the exact same tricks he's always used. And we just go along with it. But, but these young men, that most of us don't even know their actual names. We call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were their Babylonian names. Their Chaldean names. Those names worship other gods, not the one true God. We only know them according to the cultural war that was going on against them. But in the midst of that, they stood up against King Nebuchadnezzar, who in his arrogance and pride had erected a statue, then he had made a rule that every single person in the kingdom had to come and bow down to that statue. And these three young men refused to do it. And so he made a threat that anyone that does not bow down has to be thrown into this furnace that the Bible says was a fiery furnace, as I was described. Supposedly, it was so hot that when they opened the doors of it, that whoever opened the door would die instantly because the heat was so hot. So we have this situation with these young men who are facing certain death because they are refusing to bow down to this giant statue of the king. And in Daniel chapter three, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship, that's the word bow in Hebrew, the golden image which you have set up. This is a demonstration of faith 
that's different and distinct from the faith that I understood growing up in the church culture that I grew up in. Again, I'm not speaking anything against that. Listen, every church culture is flawed, including ours. There's no perfect culture. You know why? Because we're here. And we mess it up all the time. Humans mess it up. It's not a God problem. It's a human problem. And religion can get twisted off real hard, real bad, and, and horrific things happen all over our world because of religion. But God has still selected faith in Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ to be the vehicle for salvation in the earth. So it's an important thing that we stay united, we keep our hearts innocent and pure. But the way I was raised in the hyper-faith charismania uh, that, I, that I grew up in in the 80s and 90s was that, that everything had to be so absolute in what you would say out of your mouth. And if you ever said anything that was incongruent, that you basically destroyed your prayer. So if I'm saying, yeah, I believe that God's going to do this, but then out of the other side of my mouth, I'm saying the, the worry and the doubt and the whatever and all that kind of stuff, essentially the way that I was taught, not necessarily by my parents, but just the church culture at the time, was that I might as well never have prayed because I ruined my prayer with the negativity that was coming out. Now, we have to understand there, there is something to the words that come out of our mouth. And so I'm, I'm gonna need you to listen to me as I walk through this because where it really got hard for me was growing up in this super faith and for the most part, guys, I mean, I, I, my mom called me the golden boy growing up because never, I, everything went good for me. Everything went right for me. I always found a way to land on my feet. I always found a way to, to win. I always found a way to, to turn out good. Everything went well for me until it didn't. And so I had this faith that was rooted in performance. I had this faith that was all about how, how good I was and how much I obeyed and how, how well I was at, at following the rules and how much I gave and how much I fasted and how much I prayed and all this stuff. And, and I, I literally, the, the way that I looked at the world was I'm a really good Christian. I'm a way better Christian than most people because I had a very pharisaical performance mindset. And I was gonna perform, it, no matter where I was, I was gonna outperform other people. Well, the problem is, is you can find yourself in a situation that has nothing to do with your performance. And if your faith is about performance, if your faith is about meritocracy, then you're setting yourself up for a disaster in the future. Because at some point in time, all of us are gonna suffer. It's, it's the one thing Jesus promised. He said, in this life, you will suffer tribulation. Entire denominations have split over this concept of a tribulation. Are we going to be in it? Are we going to be out of it? Jesus said, you will all have tribulation in your life, every single one of you. And none of us want that. When, when Jesus made an altar call, they literally, it was an altar call that would result in their potential death. They had to leave their culture, leave their family, reject their potential future, and follow him knowing they're going to be rejected by, by the entire culture that they lived in. It was not an easy thing for them to do. And in fact, his disciples, he told them that they would all die for him. That would not be a, a, a very full altar if that was our pitch today. Come on down front so you can be sure you're going to die for Jesus. No, we don't want that. We want good times. We want the blessing, we want the provision, we want the fun stuff. We, we don't want the hard times. But the reality is there is hard times in store for every human. If there weren't hard times, you wouldn't need faith. And faith is the ingredient that we have to have to please God. See, the faith that I had was I, I know that God is good and I know that he's powerful and I know that he's whatever and then all of my things that I do and so I know God's gonna do this for me because look how good I am. Well, that's all well and good until my daughter gets brain cancer and we fight and we pray and we prophesy and we declare and we fast and I never, ever, ever even allowed myself the, the, the thought that maybe she wouldn't make it. It was never an option. No, of course she's gonna be healed. Of course my daughter's gonna make it. God's gonna do this miracle for me. Look what I do for him. My whole life is his and this is his word and I know his word is true and I had, I had part of it right. But I never allowed myself to develop the type of faith that these three 
young Israelite boys had developed. I know my God is able. I know my God will. But even if he doesn't, I'll never bow. See, the way I was raised, you couldn't talk about the if. The church culture I grew up in, you can't, you don't mention the if. Because if you mention the if, you just tore up the, your, you, you threw out your, your previous declaration. That's like when someone says to you, hey, I really think you're great, but. That, that, so, so to me, you couldn't have an if in your prayer. How did this absolute thing? And so when my daughter died, I didn't know what to do with that. I had no preparation for that. I'd never, I'd never allowed that there might be something sovereign that God would have in mind to allow this baby girl to go to heaven at 18 months. And it destroyed me. Destroyed my wife. Devastated us. I didn't know if I believed the Bible anymore at all. I would look at some of my favorite passages, like Psalm 91, and I would say, that's a stinking lie. Thousand at my right, 10,000 at my left hand, but none will come nigh me. God, that's a lie. You lied. That's where I was with my faith. And it made me dig deep. It made me search. And what I found out is in Psalms 91, that whole passage, the first 12 or 13 verses are actually a, a, a priest who's writing a song who's declaring how good God is. He's talking about what he believes in God. None's gonna come near me. None's, nothing's gonna hit me. No arrows are hitting me because my God is so good. But the very last verse, I encourage you to read the passage. The very last verse, I believe it's verse 13, God actually speaks. The first 12 verses are a man talking about how he feels about God. The last verse is God actually prophesying and God actually speaking. Can I tell you that all of the Bible is God's word, but there's a difference inside of God's word when God is the one speaking and when another human is talking. Man, that's, that, that's shattering for some people's faith. Because it's all his word, true. It all has purpose. It all has value. It all has virtue. It all has something for us to learn and develop. But let me tell you, there's a distinction when God is the one speaking versus other words from a mere mortal. And what God said in Psalm 91 was, I will be with you in trouble. And I will deliver you. He didn't say nothing's going to come near you. In fact, he said the opposite. Trouble's going to be near you, but I will deliver you. I will be with you. And he did deliver us, but not the way we wanted. See, I had to learn how to have faith like these Israelite boys. See, at the end, when my daughter was gone, I began to, to, to write, and, and that, that my prayer journal has been my number one uh, discipline for all of these years. Because my prayer was this, God, if you'll just keep talking to me, I know I can make it through this. If you don't talk to me, I'm not going to make it. I, I mean, literally, I was cracking up. I was, I was self-destructing. I was cratering on a regular basis. And I was so desperate. I'm like, God, I have to hear your voice. I have to hear your voice. It was my lifeline. And now I've cultivated a couple decades now of, of documenting the words that he speaks to me and doing my best to live out of the words that he speaks to me. But I remember saying to him, that I don't know what I believe anymore. I remember writing to him that, that, that I felt like it was a lie and I felt like I had been deceived and I felt like it, that, I, that, none of the, that the Bible didn't even matter. So many parts of it weren't even true anymore. That's how I felt back then. Do you know that God can deal with your emotions? Do you know that God is not petty? He doesn't get offended easily. He's not looking for excuses to take your name out of the book of life. He's a loving, nurturing father who has the ability to stay in control and have compassion while you're having a temper tantrum. And I, found, I remember writing this. I remember, God, I, I don't know what I believe anymore, but I know these two things. I know that you are. I know that you are. I know you're real. I've seen way too much. I've experienced way too much. I know you're real. I don't understand. 
I certainly don't understand the situation I'm in right now. But the other thing I know is I know that somehow you're still good. That's all I got. And this is what he said back to me, my journal. He said, that's exactly the faith I've been looking for this whole time. He took me to a verse in Hebrews chapter six. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is and he is good. Those are the criteria for your faith to please him. The missing piece that I had inside of my own personal faith understanding was that he's good even when I don't get what I want. He's true even when I don't get what I want. When I pray something and I don't get the desired outcome that I want, it doesn't change the fact that he is and he's good. Because guys, he's sovereign. And there's stuff that we're gonna go through. And the most important thing is that we don't get offended at him when things don't work out the way we want and we don't give up on him and give up on our faith and quit praying those prayers and declaring those things and believing for the best and asking God and declaring for the miracle, knowing that, hey, you're sovereign, God, and you may know something I don't know, and if that's the case, that's fine, but my job is to keep fighting, and my job is to keep declaring, and my job is to keep focusing on who I know God is. I know he's a healer. Every part of the Bible declares he's a healer. I know he's a deliverer. Every part of the Bible confirms that. I know he's a provider. I know that he's a good father. I know that he's my defender. I've read the Bible. I know he's good. I know he's for me. I know he's not against me. I know he makes me the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I know that he's my righteousness. I know that he's my provision. I know that he's my purity. I know that he's my source. I know that he's my protector. I know that he's my everything. And I can't let what I see with my eyes, that's a circumstance that's temporary, it's temporary. It's going to change. Everything in our life is temporary. And one day you're going to enter the eternal. And you're going to spend eternity somewhere. Depending on your faith in Jesus Christ. You'll spend eternity somewhere. And the blip of existence that we call life is the shortest part. And it's the least real. But to us it feels like the main part and the most real. Simply not true. The devil loves for us to be on the fence. Doubt is his number one tool. Go back to the Garden of Eden, the first words of Satan. Did God really say? Did God really say that you would die if you ate that fruit? Did he really say that? No. God just doesn't want you to be like him. God knows that if you eat this fruit, you're gonna, you'll see the way he sees and you'll think the way he thinks. You'll, you'll have the knowledge that he has. He's trying to hold you back from something. He's trying to keep you from something wonderful. Just try it. He sowed seeds of doubt into Eve. And in that place of doubt, she became double-minded. She was on the fence, going back and forth about what she actually knew and believed about God. And she, in that place of doubt, made a wrong decision. Adam should have stepped up. Adam should have been the priest of the home. Adam should have grabbed that snake by the neck and snapped his little scrawny little neck off. Put it on the barbecue. Made rattle, I've heard rattlesnakes great. But he didn't. He didn't man up. He didn't take his position as the leader. And he sat there and watched his wife step off a cliff. And then he blamed her. See, these three Israelite boys, they made a declaration. We know God is able. We know God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will never bow.
the way I thought about that type of thing when I grew up in church was that if I said if, that meant I was doubting. That's not the case. When they said if, he doesn't, they were making a declaration that we will worship him and we will never doubt no matter what. God can do whatever he wants. We know that he is. We know that he's able. We believe that he will. In fact, we know that he will. But we are so devoted to him, it doesn't matter what he does. We're gonna follow him no matter what. We have zero doubt in our life. God, you can do whatever you want in my life. Take it all away. I'll never doubt you. I'll never betray you. I'll never bow down. That's not doubt. Doubt is when we move out of the place of making absolute statements regardless of the outcome. The problem, guys, is I had strings attached to my faith. I had strings attached. My faith was conditional. God, I'll fully believe if you do this. But if you don't, I don't know what I believe. I had conditional faith. That's not the faith he's looking for. That's where doubt comes in. That's where the enemy can play with our minds and wreak havoc on us. James chapter one, this is the brother of Jesus, the actual blood brother of Jesus, talking about receiving from God, praying prayers and receiving from God. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, for let not that man suppose or assume that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. On the fence. Man, the enemy wants you on the fence. He wants you on the fence about your finances. He wants you on the fence about your children. He wants you on the fence about the future of our nation. He wants you on the fence about your marriage. He wants you on the fence about your business. He wants you on the fence about healing. He wants you on the fence about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He wants you on the fence. He wants you going back and forth. I don't know, I'm not really sure. I mean, that's probably not for me. I mean, some people uh, get that, but not me. That's not really, I don't know. I, you know. I'm not sure, I'm not an expert. I mean, that's above my pay grade. I'm not really whatever. He wants you on the fence. The enemy wants you full of doubt so that you're stuck on the fence. And your most intimate, vulnerable part of who you are is exposed. When you're on the fence, you're in trouble. It's a dangerous place, as I found out as an 11 year old. Interesting, you ever thought about this? We've all probably heard about the armor of God. Sword of the spirit, shield of faith. Do you know what the first piece of the armor of God is? The first piece. The number one most important piece of the armor of God. Anybody? Gird up your loins with the belt of truth. I'm sorry, that was a little aggressive. Sorry, that was, that was off the charts there. That one's, hope that one does not go viral. Please, Jesus, of all things, to get any exposure, let that one not be it. Why do you think, why do you think one of the greatest attacks in our modern world is on children and their sexuality? I mean, Glamour Magazine this week decided that a transgender woman is now woman of the year. Born a man, transitioned, woman of the year. That's the most insulting thing I've ever heard for a woman. So a man is a better woman than you. This is the world we live in. Where the true, it's, it, it's, it's, listen, it's about the future. It's about, it's about your lineage. It's about the procreation of life and the generations to come. And the truth is the only thing that guards you. And we live in a world of lies. 
We live in a, in, in a mirrored maze of lies 24-7 where up is down and black is white and wrong is right and all this kind of mess and the belt of truth that girds your loins, that protects your loins, the most sensitive part of who you are, that's the most important piece. The first piece He wants you on the fence, double-minded, unstable in all your ways, opting out of positions. Interesting, Jesus in Matthew chapter six is talking about how your eye is the window of your soul. And he said, if your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is evil, the opposite of single was evil, your whole body would be full of darkness. The type of faith that Jesus wants you to walk in is a singleness of faith. The enemy wants you in a place of double-mindedness where you're in a position of being unintentionally evil Eve was unintentionally evil on the fence. It's not intentional. You're not wicked. But in that place of, of duplicity, you're not in faith. And in singleness of faith is how you please him. Last story and we'll close. I know you're getting a bonus today. I'll preach short next week. Mark chapter 11, Jesus is um, in the middle of the week of what's called the triumphal procession. It's his last week on earth, it's, it's holy week. It's his last week to be alive as a human. He was the only one to know what was going on. He gets up in the morning, they're walking into town. Uh, he walks by a fig tree and gets ticked off. No one else knew what he was dealing with, no one else knew what he was carrying. It's not fig season, but he wants figs. And he walks to this fig tree and he looks at it and there's no figs and he says, never bear fruit again. And I imagine the disciples being like, man, somebody woke up on the wrong side of bed today, Jesus. Apparently you missed your coffee this morning, didn't get your cheese Danish. Something, something's going on there, Jesus. You know, a little, little fired up there, aren't you? It's just, you know, it's not fig season. I mean, you know everything. You're the creator of the universe, but you don't know what fig season is apparently because... Uh, See, the thing is, he's the creator of the universe, and if he wants the universe to respond to him in or out of season, that's his prerogative, you understand? He can make water into a solid and walk on it. He can speak to a storm and tell it to shut up, and it shuts up. He can speak to a fig tree and tell it to die, and it dies. Next morning, they're walking past the same tree. Next morning, 24 hours later, Mark eleven twenty. 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whatever or whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. They were walking over the Mount of Olives about to descend down into Jerusalem. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, present tense, right now, in this moment, I receive them, and you will have them, future tense. The singleness of mind, the singleness of focus is this place of balance, the singleness of faith. Having faith, having a perspective, having an eye to the soul that is single in purpose. I know that you are, I know that you're good, I know that you will, I know you're gonna do this, and even if you don't, I'm never gonna bow because you're just that good and I'm single in my focus. I'm not gonna allow for the chatter, I'm not gonna allow for the back and forth, I'm gonna get single in my focus. 
And when I declare something, I'm going to receive it right now. It's done. And I will have it. I don't know when. We, we don't know the gap, y'all. We don't know the gap from receive it at this moment and will have it. But I can tell you what. My daughter is healed in eternity. I didn't get the joy of seeing it in, 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 in this realm. But I still get to see it. I still get to enjoy it. She's where we all want to be. I'm hoping I can buy a fast pass. I'd go today. I'd rather be there right now. She is healed. And she is in the realest part of our existence. She's no longer in the temporary. She's no longer in the, in the brief, in the fleeting. She's no longer in this little facade that we call life. She's in the eternal. She's in her spirit state with a glorified body. And she's better than all of us. And she's now part of the great cloud of witnesses that looks over the rails of heaven and says, come on, Dad, you can do this. Let's go. Even if he doesn't, I'll never bow. Come on, he's looking for singleness of faith. He's looking for a type of absolute faith. Faith in his goodness that has no bearing on the outcome. Do we still pray and declare and, 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 and operate in faith for an outcome? Absolutely. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. We're just following his example. But Jesus even had a prayer that God didn't answer. Jesus wanted to skip the cross. Prayed twice, same prayer. Please, God, get me out of this. But even if you don't, even if you don't, I'll never bow. That was Jesus' faith. I want out of this. I want you to change this. Paul did the same thing. Says he prayed three times for the thorn in his flesh to be removed. Three times he prayed. God said, nope, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're weak, then I'm strong in you. My strength is perfected in your weakness. See, every one of us, we have a cross that we have to bear in our life. We have things we're going to go through. We have stuff we got to carry. We bring a whole lot of trouble on ourselves with our own behavior sometimes. But other times, it's just what we got to pick up and carry. And that's, that's the faith that pleases him. When we believe anyway. We push forward anyway. We don't bow no matter what. That's the faith that pleases him. I'm going to give you a moment just to put your faith in him today. We're going to open the altars back up and let the band come back and flow into something. And if you need prayer for anything in your life, we're here to pray for you. And we're going to believe for miracles. We're going to believe for miracles in finance and in families and in business and in whatever with habits or anything you need help with. But right now, I just want to take a moment. And maybe you're in a place where you've been on that fence and you've been back and forth and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the absolute Lord of your life today in this moment. This is your moment right here, whether you're with us watching online, listening on the podcast, or in this room with us right now. This is your moment. Just pray this with me. Give yourself to him. Give yourself to him today. Just say this, say, Father, forgive me. So many things I don't understand. I don't want to be double-minded. I want to have singleness of faith. So I put my trust in you, Jesus. I believe you rose from the dead. You're all powerful and eternal. Today I make you the Lord of my whole life. I give you my whole life and I'll live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.